All righty, welcome to the My Age Podcast, a podcast that brings you conversations with people from all walks of life, using music to plot a course from their early years to how they got to where they are now. Uh, first on listener, welcome. Hope you enjoy what you hear. Um, you're in for a nice little ride. Not little probably, but you know, you're in for a nice ride. Um, and if you're a long-time listener, then I really appreciate you returning. Um, you know, thank you. Thank you one and all for listening, for checking this out. Uh, My Age Podcast is part of the Podbelly Network. Um, you can find out all things pod... Uh, it, you know, if you want to start a podcast, if you've got any questions or need tips on microphones or how to record or setups and all that kind of thing, you can go to podbelly.com uh, to find all that information out. Plus, there's also a whole bunch of... Uh, tutorial videos, if you can hear Cody in the background, he's just playing cars or something. Oh, uh, fire trucks. Um, anyhow, I digest. Um, Podbelly Network, you can check out a whole bunch of other really cool podcasts, like you've written Stephen King. There's a really cool podcast about Stephen King. Um, Star Wars stuff, Supernatural stuff, obviously um, Sofa King podcast, one of the greatest podcasts out there. And... Obviously, a ex, you know, a, a friend of the pod, let's call him, um, previous guest, who's, who's one of the hosts on the Sofakin podcast, Dave Moten, who did an episode late last year. Um, anyhow, yeah, that's that's that. Um, so, if you've been paying attention to the socials, this, well, when this comes out, this is cutting it very fine, so you probably have to listen to it on the day it actually gets released. Um, it, myself, um, Nate, again, ex, XR, well, Former guest, not ex-guest, former guest, and Mike, former guest who run the uh, High Fires podcast. I'm having a bit of a moment here. Run the High Fires podcast, um, and myself, we're doing a seven-day record challenge. You know, the ones where you, there's some categories, and you post a photo of a record, or we're, we're kind of opening it up to record, EP, seven-inch, CD, single, tape, um, eight-track, whatever else you can kind of the other thing is you know just own it like physically own what it is that's that's you know that's the fun of it um where there's a whole bunch of categories and then you kind of pick uh the one that represents you in said category um it starts off as i said if you're hearing this the day it comes out then it starts off on tomorrow which would make it feb first it goes for a week uh you can follow the socials my age podcast or uh, High Fives podcast um, and check all that out or you can you know search for the hashtag Nate made this up and I'm rather impressed High Age Podcast H-I-G-H no sorry let me say it again High Age Album Challenge High H-I-G-H A-G-E Album as it's spelt Challenge as it's spelt check out all that anyhow or just find me on social media whatever I'm so babbling at the moment um what else is there? Yeah, and oh, actually, this podcast, funnily enough, interestingly enough, uh, is brought to you today by Gringo Bandito Hot Sauce. So, as if you know me, you probably do. If you listen to this, or you know my guest, and if you don't, if you don't know me, then how you doing? My name's Joel, um, and I really like hot sauce, and I have a little side hustle. Well, no, it's probably more than a side hustle now because I've been doing it for seven years. Um, where I import hot sauce. And the one and only, the greatest hot sauce that's out there, and uh, you, we can have a running race to prove I'm right, because that's how much I believe in the product. Um, 
is Gringo Bandito, made by Dexter Holland from world-famous The Offspring. Um, they come in four fantastic flavours. You've got uh, your, your original red. Your The second one they made was the classic green, which um, was a surprise hit. I'll put it out there. That was a surprise hit. Then they upped the, upped the ante with the Super Hot, which has the black label. And then just ooh, sometime last year, they released the Spicy Yellow, which has definitely got a kick to it. But it's one of those sources where, well, all four of them are those. The whole brand, the whole range is a bunch of sources that uh, they're not brutal. They're warm, but they're not brutal. You know, you won't be you won't be paying for it the next morning. As Dexter says, it's somewhat kind on the pooper. So, you know, take it from him. He's a doctor, literally is a doctor and a pilot and all those other things. Uh, so yeah, brought to, Gring- brought to you by Gringo Bandito, and as part of the bringing to you by Bringo Gringo Bandito. Sorry, I'm getting a bit tongue-tied. Um, anyone who participates from Australia, who participates in the uh, album challenge because it's too expensive to send it to Canada or anywhere else in the world. Um, actually, you know what? If you're from the US, fuck it. It's open to everybody. Of just executive decision. If uh, you participate in the challenge, the album challenge, you do all seven records. It's not hard. All seven albums or, you know, whatever, categories as part of the High Age podcast. uh, Sorry, as part of the High Age album challenge. Um, You know, you'll go into the draw, quote unquote. I'll throw your name into a random generator and pick someone who will win a couple of bottles of Gringo Bandito. So, you know, have a bit of fun and... Win some hot sauce, and I think uh, the Canadian the Canadian duo of High Fives Podcast are giving away a t shirt as well. To so you know you can get some fucking swag, do that damn thing. Um, I've definitely talked for for way too long now. Um, you'll see it all on the socials, you know. Oh, and if you like what you hear, feel free to send me a dollar or don't doesn't matter. Um, my age podcast, no sorry, PayPal dot me slash my age podcast. If you like the episode, send me a dollar. If you've liked what you've heard previously, send me a dollar or don't. It's always going to be free. Um, you, you know, it just helps a little bit. So, yeah, today's guest, Drew Maxey, is front man of, in my opinion, a band that's kind of leading the charge of the new wave of American hardcore bands. Um, yeah, the band's Time and Pressure. He's from a, he's from, St, they are from St. Louis. Um, they released an album last year called The Gateway City Sound uh, on Safe Inside Records. It's a fucking banger. Um, it was easily one of my favourite re- releases of last year. Um, it was it was fantastic. Um, so, yeah, check that out. So, with that... Oh, actually, and before we go on... Oh, fuck, there's so many things. Um, we have a featured song this week, or this episode. Now... The band is called Denmark. It's not spelt Denmark. It's probably spelt how it natively would be spelt. But if you search for Denmark band, you won't find it. You'll fucking struggle. But it's a little side project from members of We Set Sail, um, who are from Brisbane. A bit of a like a non-core band, I think people refer to it as. Um, it was a little yeah, a little side thing that Paul Vogue, another former guest of the pod. Jeez, I get some some fucking big names on this podcast um he yeah he just did it while in his spare time i don't know how he has spare time but he just did it in his spare time with a bunch of other lads 
or people, I shouldn't assume. Um, anyhow, the song is called My Ability to Learn a New Language. And then after that, you'll hear from Drew Maxey. Um, yeah, and I guess, look, you know, one more unfortunate thing. Um, if you knew him, he, he made an impact to you. It's It's been two years since we've lost everyone's favourite person in Australia, definitely um, Shane Collins. You know, forever Shane Collins. Big up.
All righty, with me on the line now, episode 43, episode 44 of the Mind Podcast, actually, uh, all the way from St. Louis, I've got Drew Maxey. How are you, mate? I am very well. How are you? Good. Very good. Thank you. Now, it's your weekend there, and you're about to celebrate Martin Luther King Day tomorrow. Yeah. So you're kind of just cruising in on a super long weekend? Yeah. And how's the weather? Um, it's cold. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it, it, we went through like an abnormally warm beginning of January. Yeah. Where we were like 50s, sometimes even the 60s on some days. And then all of a sudden we had uh, a big drop in temperature down to like the 30s. And then we had an ice storm. And now it's super cold. Does it ever um, does it get does it ever get into the negatives negative temperatures with you or for, at St Louis? Yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah, it does. It does. We get um, uh, we get a lot of uh, like wind blow wind blow down from like Canada, right? Um, what they call what they call the Arctic vortex. Yes, which, uh, I don't. Yeah, we don't it, uh, we don't have them obviously because we're too far from the Arctic, but um. Right. It was big just recently. We were getting heaps of videos from people in Chicago who were firing yeah. water pistols that would freeze the second they came out of the water pistol or whatever. And really cool videos like that. But like as co- as cool as that sounds, it'd be fucking brutal. It does not get that bad here, yeah, because we're far enough like inland. Um, Chicago is like right on. Uh, the coast of a big lake. Yeah. So they like, yeah, that, I mean, the, the, the temperature drops pretty considerably over water. Yeah. But uh, luckily, you know, we're not that far. But it does get, I mean, it, it can get to as low as like, I mean, negative 10 here. That's pretty abnormal, but that it, it, I've seen it happen in my life. Yeah. Fuck. And that's negative 10 Fahrenheit. So um, I don't yeah. ever want to think about what it is Celsius. It's like, yeah. That's like what, negative 40 something? No, I think neg- at about negative 40, our negative 40 is the same as about your negative 40, but it's like, regardless, it's still oh, okay. fucking cold. Yeah. See, that's me trying to sound smart, but I uh, am, I'm, am a, I'm a dumb American and I can't convert. No, that's fine. That's fine. Because, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, your 40 is about our 10, but it doesn't work the other way around. So, okay. Yeah. So, for those who don't know, uh, Drew was a singer in um, Time and Pressure, St. Louis hardcore band. Mm-hmm. We spoke early, uh, late last year because uh, I considered the Gateway City Sound, the Gateway City Sound album, to be one of the like, in my opinion, it was the best, one of the best releases of the last year, and definitely the best hardcore release of last year. No offense <laughs> to anybody Thank else. Thank you who's very much. But yeah, no, like, and uh, we talked about it because I, you know, I'm pretty sure you said you don't really. It's hard to process praise all that kind of thing, but like. Yeah, it's it's fucking great. Um, yeah, and so you should. Thank you. Yeah, so let's look, let's start them how we usually do. Um, let's talk about your parents. Were they musical? Um, okay. Are they like what was their kind of what was your relationship to them, and what was their relationship to music? Um. So my my dad uh, had um. My dad had had a, a relationship with music when he was younger. Um, he like played in rock and roll bands, and he went to concerts and stuff like that. Um, but he never had it, it, for him. I I always got the impression that music for him was just something that like 
was it was like the warm up act to the party, you know. Um, whereas, like for me, it would be like that's the reason to go out would be you know to go see a band or to go listen to music or something like that. Like music was my main event. That was the opening act for my dad. And so uh, he, I mean, my dad, like, he does not get into modern music at all. My dad only listens to, um, like, pretty much stuff pre-1980, maybe a little bit into the 80s, but that's really it. Um, 50s, 60s, 70s. Yeah, he just stopped in the 80s and said, "I've, I've, I've got the music I like and that's it. Yeah, but pretty much that's 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 kind of how he was, um, and uh, I mean, I definitely like, I I definitely took some influence from my dad, um, like I mean, I I consider the Beatles to be my second favorite band ever, um, and I I'm sure that that comes from my dad. My dad constantly, you know, when we were young, he my dad loved John Lennon. And he had John Lennon posters all over the place in our house and Beatles posters all over the place. Um, I don't really, what's weird though, is I don't really recall him listening to the Beatles a lot when I was young. It was just around. Yeah. It was just like, I knew who the Beatles were, but I I couldn't have told you any of their songs when I was a really young kid. Yeah. Okay. Um, But I, like, I knew, I knew who John Lennon was. I knew he was a member of the Beatles, you know, that sort of thing. Um, and yeah, my, my mother, on the other hand, um, my mom definitely got into more modern music. My, my parents split like whenever, uh, I was really young. Um, so I don't really, I don't really remember them being together. I, I have like very vague memories of it, but, uh, nothing concrete or anything like that. Um, so I was kind of like bouncing around from both at both their houses. And when I was with my dad, it was like 60s, 70s. That's what we listened to. And when I was with my mom um, in the car or anything like that, we would get to like my in the mid 90s. My mom definitely went through like the alternative phase, like everybody was going through at the time. And, you know, then like uh, 90s dance music, I remember hearing a lot with her. Stuff, stuff like that. Uh, I can rem- I one thing I do remember, and this, I, I, I remember the song, but I don't remember if this was because of my dad or because of my mom. Okay. Um, but the first song I could ever like sing along to um, was uh, the Black Crows cover of "Hard to Handle." Yep. Uh, what a jam. Yeah. If you're yeah, if you're familiar with the song. Yep. Um, I, I didn't know what the words meant. I just knew, and I probably couldn't even really say the words. It was more so just uh, I could, like, mimic the sound. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yep. Um, but I, I can remember very well hearing that opening. And, like, and I would just get hyped. Oh, dude, I still do. <laughs> What's funny is our 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 drummer, uh, our drummer Travis is like. It, I feel like all of a sudden he's really into that song. Okay. And so like it's like, you know like I'm in my 30s now and I'm 
it's like come back around again. We'll be like in our van and he'll, he'll be like playing, uh, playing, you know, black crows. And then I'll hear that like over, like start to come up over like the podcast or the, the like audio book I'm listening to in my, in my own headphones. Yeah. And I'll hear that down, 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 that opening riff, and I'm just like, "Oh shoot!" <laughs> oh, dude, that's so good. So, uh, were you you always lived in St. Louis, or were your parents from somewhere yeah. else? Yeah, okay. Yeah, I was. I was so like. I mean, I live in the St. Louis area. I yeah. didn't. I didn't live in like the St. Like St. Louis city proper. Yep. Um, you know, my parents like I was definitely like a suburban kid, and um my both of my parents even whenever they split up they didn't move far away from each other um so like yeah i mean i I, i've always kind of when i was young very suburban um as i got older i tended to spend more time in the city um and really familiarize myself with it but yeah i mean i i I can never claim to be like a a city kid so what was the do you remember like with the beatles did you kind of have a um? Did you just love it all, or did you kind of have a, I guess, a preference towards, you know, suit and ties versus psychedelic Beatles era? I definitely, um, um, as I got older, this, this you know, this, like I said, like I said, when I was young, like I couldn't tell you a Beatles, I couldn't have told you a Beatles song. Okay, right. Um, but in as I got older, I definitely gravitated more towards the um like the later stuff like yeah. kind of uh uh rubber soul and on yep um which i think i think that sergeant pepper um is the greatest rock and roll album that's ever been written ever like i i i love that album um that's like you know it, people will try to give you the you know, the desert island, like, oh, what's the one record you would listen to if you were on a desert island? That's always my answer. Yeah. Well, whilst I agree it's definitely the best, the better of the albums, my go-to has always been Abbey Road. For... I love Abbey Road. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I, there was there was like a three-month period about four years ago where I just listened to Abbey Road. It, it, it is, I think, I think that medley at the very end. Oh, like, forget about it. Yeah. Is, is so good. Just the idea that it's like, hey, we're the Beatles, we're the greatest rock and roll band of all time, and here's a bunch of songs we didn't finish because we know we're done. Like that, like to me, that that makes those songs, those little snippets of songs, just thrown together, super cool. And it has it has that big it has that big epic ending with you know the uh, the song the end. And then it fades out, and then Her Majesty comes in for like a couple seconds. Like that's it's perfect. And it's it's looking back. I mean, you know, however old it is, like fifty, maybe sixty years old. However, you know, however old it may be, um, if you listen to it, if you just listen to it fresh ears, you're like, yeah, okay, it's it's an interesting album. Like it's also a great interesting album. But like with the context of when it was released, it was wild. It was wild. It made no sense for bands to ever consider doing that. Yeah, and it's it's like people. I think a lot of people, especially people who are like alive, like who are young now. Um, and when I say young, I'm, I'm talking like under fifty. Yeah. Um, so like that includes people my age. Yep. Um, tend to for they don't know that the Beatles were only putting out records for six years. Mm. 
you know, from 63, they came, they came to the United States in 64. They put out a record before that in 63 and they were done by 1969. Yep. Like, and the fact that they did all of those things, they put out 13 albums in six years. But on top of that, they were, and, they were young. Like, you, you know, you're, yeah. you're oh, in yeah. your thirties. Yeah. Like they were done and dusted yeah. before they got to how old you are now. Like that shit always blows yeah. my mind. Paul McCartney was working on Wings when he was my age. Yeah, he, like yeah. he was. He it was, he was the basically next done with. You know, he was he was he was writing the you know James Bond themes yeah. by the time he was my age. It's just, it's just wild, yeah. But like they're perpetually, yeah, no, they're, they're perpetually always going to be older, like seem older than you know us. But yeah, but yeah, it's yeah, it's it's wild to it, think it, about. It, and it's like one of the things that really bothers me about when people like try to discredit the Beatles. Oh, they weren't as they weren't as good as people. They're overrated. It's just like no, they're the rating system. They yeah. can't be overrated. Yeah. Everybody is being compared to them. Yeah, they, they like, are the watermark. It, yeah, it's it's totally fine to say you don't like them, mm. but I cannot stand like even people do it as a joke around me all the time because they know I'm going to respond to it. Yeah, but I cannot stand when people say the Beatles are bad. Like. Or that, or when people say that their influence isn't that they weren't as important, and it's just like all of these things, like the the Marshall amplification system would not exist without the Beatles because they needed to be loud because an amplifier didn't exist for them to play to the crowds that they do. Uh, the idea of like going and sitting down and watching a band was unheard of until the Beatles came along because back then. You know, people just they, they played as background music to dances. That's what a rock and roll band did. But this band comes along that like everybody like we have to sit and watch them. That's the that's the main event is to sit and watch this band. You know, and like they were the first band to use distortion on a record. They were the first band to, uh, uh, you know, like use sound clips in uh, in in you know, a, a studio recording, uh, all of these things, they were the first band, they were the first band to put lyrics on the album. Yeah. That, and that was Sergeant Peppers, wasn't it? Yeah, it is. It, it, it's on the backside of the, of the, of the record sleeve, but yeah. like, or like the, the cardboard, but you know, like nobody had thought to do that before. Yeah. And nowadays, yeah, it's, it's such a, it's such a weird thing for, to take that, like to take that long to, for someone to think, maybe we should have done this. Yeah. It's because it's such a no-brainer idea in 2020. Yeah, right. And like they, they, the model of a band writing and performing their own music. They weren't the first band to do it, but they were the band that made it the standard. You know, like like now, if a band doesn't, if a if a band came out like like a rock band came out, or even like a punk band, if a punk band came out right now and decided. And, and it was we found out that they weren't writing their own music. Their their career would be over. Yeah, it's it's hard. Yeah, you couldn't but, do it that way. Yeah, but back then that's just what people did. You 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 know a record label bought songs and said here play these. Mm. Like all of these things that that you know is super important to music. Even music like 
you know, that, that is like a DIY kind of, uh, you know, reject the, the mainstream focus kind of culture, like punk and hardcore, they're still influencing us without anyone really realizing it i'm so stoked i'm so stoked you're that stoked on it that's 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 me like you know i i all of my friends are so tired of hearing me talk about the beatles because like i i do it so often but like it's just something that like i'm i'm i am consistently like amazed that a band like that ever existed yeah and again like the further we get it's unfortunate but the further we get away from it the less of the impact or the mm-hmm. well impact is probably the right word you know that that they had on music back then because now it's just so again so commonplace like why wouldn't you put your lyrics yeah. on a on a seat like you know as part of the artwork or whatever yeah it's for sure and and you know when when everybody is influenced by the things that you did sometimes your stuff you, you know you, what you did doesn't seem as special anymore yeah. Um, what do you want to keep going? On? I'm I'm more than happy to keep going on with the Beatles if you want. Or did you have? There, luckily for your listeners, this is not a and for you know my friend in the other room, this is not a Beatles podcast. So when, can... the day I decide to do something like this, you're getting the call, and we're going to go deep. Okay. <laughs> One day you and Dude, me. I will. <laughs> I will be there. See? So did you? I guess you're going to go the counting crow. Uh, sorry, counting crow. You're going to go the black crows or not? Not counting. I, I'll tell you what. I love counting crows. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, no, black crows. That's that's the song. Mama, I'm sure all the hand and I just around. Mama, I'm sure all the hand and I just around. I'm sure all the hand and I
Chicano calls her mama. I'm sure all the henna now just around. That's pretty cool that your parents were very, um, you know, into music both at an early age but also both different things. Like, I, you know, I talked, I've talked to a lot of people doing this and I, I don't think that um, it's either one parent's either into it, into something and the other's not or they're both into the yeah. same thing. So that's really cool that you kind of had that broad perspective of, you know, what came before you and what was kind of happening now-ish or then sure. at the time, yeah. Yeah, and I, I, I think that I'm I think that I am despite like 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 I said you know for for my parents music was just kind of like um, background I had a I had a professor in college who described it as people see music as wallpaper it's just something that's there while we're doing our thing and that's definitely how my parents were yeah um, so it wasn't like for them you know music wasn't like this big important thing it was just kind of something that was there and they could sing along with it and stuff like that um which i think is always like for i i think that that's very different from how a lot of you know people who grow up to be musicians um kind of started out you know they always talk about oh yeah my parents were really into this my parents played guitar and you know my my uh they taught me how to play an instrument and stuff like that and my parents that was not them at all like yeah couldn't you know like i said my dad when he was in high school was in a rock and roll band but he only did it so that he could meet women and they, i'm sure they, <laughs> i don't think they played any shows i think they only practiced like once or twice and then they were like yeah we're a band that's you all know? you need that's back in the day that's all you needed to do just like yeah <laughs> yeah that's unreal Cool. So I guess, you know, growing up, uh, getting a little bit older and being that exposed to music, what was the kind of thing that made you your turning point where it was like, no, this isn't this is an actual thing that people are doing for the love of doing it to and to be to aspire to be more than just wallpaper. There were there were a couple a couple things like a couple very specific artists kind of um, uh, influenced like that change uh, in perspective for me. Um, when I was a kid, I was always concerned with making people laugh. Like I tried to make all the jokes in school and, you know, like first, second grade, like I was going out of my way to try to make people laugh. And that's really what I wanted to do. Yeah. Um, so the first time I ever heard music that was intended to be comedy, like I, I really did not know that that was a thing. I mean, I mean, I was a kid; I was really young, so it's not like my, my, you know, uh, perspective was yeah huge, you know, particularly yeah. wide. Yeah, wide. Yeah, but, but uh, uh, yeah, I mean, like when I first heard, for me, like I know it's going to sound crazy, but like Weird Al Yankovic. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I. I loved Weird Al Yankovic, like absolutely loved him, like completely like thought he was the greatest. 
uh, when I was a little kid and I would like write parodies on my own and I was really into Star Wars so okay. he would write songs about Star Wars and I was just like oh this is the greatest thing <laughs> and so like uh, from about like I don't know second to fourth grade like Weird Al was like what I aspired to be yeah. that's what I wanted from out of life when you were this is sorry sorry to cut you off when you were doing when you were writing your own parodies was was his American Pie Anakin guy parody out or like had you know it it was it was not yet okay. um it that that came out in ninety nine because that's when uh, episode one came, came out. out yeah yeah um and yeah the Running with Scissors album that was the first song of Running with Scissors and so that was about ninety nine. So we're looking at about 97 okay. is when I was doing this. Yeah, right. Okay. So it predates it for a couple of years. But he still had Yoda out. Um, Which was a parody of what? Yoda uh, Lola. Oh, by, right. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. By the Kinks. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's right. I thought it was the Kinks, but I didn't want to be wrong. Yeah. Uh, uh, but yeah, and so uh, uh, I would like – I can remember I wrote a parody of – it wasn't very good. I don't I don't remember any of the lyrics really, but I wrote a parody of – you know the song Good by Better Than Ezra? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, I remember I wrote a parody of that that was from the perspective of Han Solo, whose best friend was a Wookiee. Right. And like, <laughs> you know, like traveling all over the galaxy, like with this guy who like, you know, takes up all the room in the cockpit and like the problems that they would have together. But, you know, that's his best friend. So, you know, so he did like, I remember, I remember stuff like that. And, um, I did other stuff too. I mean, like I wrote like parodies about like gross bodily functions and stuff like that. Like about, you know, sneezing and having to clean up all the snot and stuff like that. Were you parodying, were you parodying music that was kind of coming out? Like is better than Ezra was like, would have been oof, 90, say 95, 96, 97. 91, 92. Was it that early? I, I, think it, I think it was that early. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I could be totally wrong about that, but uh, but the other parodies yeah, you, you were doing were they were they current stuff or just they they would have been, but I couldn't like I don't remember any of the songs that they were. I just remember that these were like things that I was you know like oh I bet this will make people laugh you know kind of thing. How do you get introduced to um to Weird Al? Like was he on radio or was it was it an MTV mm -hmm. thing or? Man, uh, that's a good question. I don't really remember. Um, I think, um, around 96 is when, uh, his album, Bad Hair Day came out, it was probably around 96. And, uh, my, my, that was when Coolio got real big because, uh, Gangsta the Dangerous Mind soundtrack yep. was that, yeah, Gangsta Paradise was out. And so I think I heard Amish Paradise first and, oh, right. and, and yeah. like so like i heard i knew gangsta's paradise and then i heard amish paradise and i didn't know what amish meant because i was so young but i just liked the that it was a guy kind of like poking fun at a song that was popular on the radio yeah um and then my mom was like oh like this is a guy who's existed for a long time and and you know she told me about eat it which i didn't know i didn't know the song beat it at the time right 
Um, and then like, I remember there was like a neighbor kid down the street from me who had, uh, some weird owl like CDs or something like that. And he showed me like Jurassic park and, uh, Gump and, uh, uh, you know, a lot of the, it was a lot of the movie songs actually, yeah. um, that I kind of, cause I like movies a lot. And so like, I would, I would kind of latch on to these songs that were about like other things that I had seen. Yeah. It's a two worlds colliding kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. And I just thought it was the funniest thing. So I aspired to be Weird Al when I was really young. At the same time that like this was happening was also whenever I started paying attention to like, you know, the more like like mainstream pop music at the time. Okay. Um, so like 96 when I was in third grade is when I bought the very first CD like that I had, like I had like allowance and yep. I bought the first CD that I owned with my own money. And uh, I used to be really embarrassed about it, but I'm not anymore. Like I, I'm very open about it. Good. Uh, it was, uh, it was Spice by the Spice Girls. I, yeah, I like, I don't know. I was like almost going through puberty at the time. So like, uh, I was, I was like, I just had like big crushes on all of them. And I thought like, oh man, maybe if I know their music, then they'll like me or something like that. I don't know. So who was, who was the, um, who was the, you know, who was, who was the favorite spice? Oh, it was baby spice. I was always a sporty spice, man. Yeah. You know, like probably if I were older now, yeah, like you know, if I were older when they when they came out, she'd probably have my attention. But uh, yeah, for me it was it was it was always Emma Bunton. That was that was my girl. That's the one. (laughs) (laughs) She has. uh, What's the date today? Here it's the twentieth. It's the it's the twentieth there. Twentieth. Yeah. And so it's yeah, it's the nineteenth here. Her birthday is the twenty first. I know that <laughs> That's because of fantastic. that because of that time when I was obsessed with the Spice Girls. That's unreal. <laughs> you remember that after that many years? <laughs> I, yeah, I was I was like seven or eight when when I got a, when I became obsessed with the Spice Girls. But I remember it's just little things like that stuck with me. At that age, like there's you know you, yeah you you're not. I don't know how developed you, you know, you, you really are eight years old, but like you're not going through that, the need to be tough, like really, you know, you're not going through that, you know, the testosterone is charging and you know, yeah. the, the alpha males and trying I'm, to come screaming out like good music is just good music back then. Didn't matter who did it sure. or what it looked like. Yeah. And like I said, like my parents split up whenever I was little, I spent most of the time with my mom. Yeah. So I had like, you know, my, my influences were not as masculine, you know, yeah. I'm, and I'm putting that in air quotes because I think that the whole like feminine masculine thing, whenever it comes to music, is kind of, you know, whatever. Yeah. Uh, but like, yeah, I mean, my, my influences, my direct influences were coming from my mother. So, you know, like I didn't see it as like, oh, I got to be tough. I'm a boy. You know, my mom my mom was never like that kind of mom to me. So she, yeah, I was always kind of like, I like what I like and that's it, you know? So do you have, are you only child or older brothers, older sisters, younger brothers, younger sisters? I have one older brother. Okay. Was he, was he doing, was he listening to much music or? Um, my, my brother, I'm, I'm going to be totally honest with you. My brother and I 
grew up in the same house, um, but but we don't really know each other at all. Um, we we were we've never been close. Um, you know, like I know little things about him, um, but like I don't know I don't know what he was like then. Um, he's not he's not much older than I am. I mean, we're we're like um, a year and almost a year and a half apart. And, uh, I mean, yeah, but I, I really don't know what he was into, uh, musically at all until, um, we got into, uh, we got into high school. Um, he started high school a couple of years before me. Uh, but, um, I can remember that he was really into video game and anime soundtracks. Video game and anime soundtracks. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. My brother was very much um, like an early adopter of like the anime craze. Uh, and that is, I, I, partially that did influence me because um, even though like we didn't really know each other that well and we like didn't hang out, there was still like that part of me that was like, oh, I want my brother to like me. So I would like latch on to a lot of the stuff that he did. Um, uh, so like when we were, when we were pretty young, um, he got into, uh, you know, they didn't call it anime then. We, like it wasn't called anime in the United States. I don't know, uh, if, you know, it hit you guys pretty hard around like 97, 98, but, uh, uh, we called it Japanimation. Yeah, I was about to say. Yeah, we we I'm sure that's what we referred to it as. Not that I was not that it was ever on my radar, but when you'd go yeah. into the city and you know walk park past or into comic book stores, it would be yeah, Japanimation. Yeah, yeah, and like we, I the first time I ever heard the the term anime um, was in the video game Metal Gear Solid. Actually, okay, uh, uh, the character Otacon uh calls you know like he says something like this is like something out of one of my japanese anime and that was the first time i ever heard that word there you go because we always like i said we we always just called it japanimation yeah or or japanese animation something like you know but japanimation for short yeah and uh yeah i mean we we would like he and i would rent different movies from there was like a, a video store near us that had like 10 anime titles and we would just rent them you know in alphabetical order because we had discovered it and we we're just like oh this is the coolest thing and none of our we didn't know anybody else who liked it was there a common theme to the 10 that they had in stock or was it just like you know 10 popular titles or like how do you think they ended up with them because it obviously doesn't sound like it was too common a thing back then especially not in the midwest no but yeah. uh I, the only ones that I remember, I think it was just, they were just very popular. Okay. Um, the only ones that I remember that they had were Akira, um, which is still like to this day, that's my favorite, uh, uh, anime film. Um, and I'm, I'm sure that a lot of that has to do with how early in my life I watched it. Uh, I remember Akira. I remember Ninja Scroll. I remember Vampire Hunter D. I know they had Ghost in the Shell, but I didn't rent Ghost in the Shell uh, for whatever reason. Um, I, I eventually saw it later, but I saw it on uh, – uh, they had shown it um, 
Do you guys have the channel, the cable channel stars? We get no, no, we don't, but we get shows that stars stars has produced. If okay. that makes sense. So yeah, uh, stars uh, in the United States, like on my on my dad's. My my dad was the only one who had cable. My mom has never bought it. She never saw the need for it. So uh, my dad had a satellite subscription. And there was a Stars channel called the Stars Action Channel. They only showed action movies 24 hours a day. And on Saturdays at 1 a.m., they showed a different anime movie. And that was how I saw Ghost in the Show. So you um, get up super, or would you, would you stay up super late just to watch? I would it? stay up. I would stay up until that movie was over, and then uh, and then I would go to bed. My, my getting, you know, this is a super roundabout way. No, no, of, no. You know, getting into like, yeah, go like, for I, it. like I said, I, you you get me talking, I'll just talk forever. I'm, and I'm, but, I'm uh, here for you. That's fine. <laughs> my, yeah, my brother uh, didn't really seem to take to like pop music or anything like that um, at all. Uh, he was always into. As, as early as I can remember, he was into uh, uh, anime soundtracks and video game soundtracks. And I remember him listening to that stuff in his room, like by himself, uh, you know, over like summers, whenever we didn't have to go to school in the morning and stuff like that. Was, was there anything else, like besides that and Spice Girls, was there, was there anything else on your radar? That was about the time I got into, uh, I, around like, 10 years old is whenever I got into like hip hop. Well, wow, okay. That's um, from Spice Girls to hip hop. Yeah. I mean, well, they're really not entirely different, especially with like what was, I mean, I, you know, I wasn't getting into like gangster rap or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, but okay. It was like the stuff they played on the radio, you know, around this time is when I started really like, I started watching MTV and MTV was slowly getting away from like rock videos and going into like more pop and hip hop at the time. Um, and so this is like, like, I remember, um, oh, who was real big at the time was like Usher and, uh, Tupac had just died like a couple years before. Um, and so like, uh, and, and, and Biggie had just died. So like, uh, the, um, the Puff Daddy version of, uh, oh, with know, I'll be missing you. Yeah, with Faith Evans. Yeah. Like that was, that was really big at the time. And I remember that. And, um, Mariah Carey was doing songs with like the bad boys records, uh, like Puff Daddy and Mace. Okay. And I remember a lot of that stuff. And that was, you know, as, as kind of like the alternative music was kind of fading away, hip hop was starting to kind of take it over. And that's, like I remember being really excited by that um, as a kid. Yeah, understandable. And I, I, I really couldn't tell you why. I mean, it was just you know, it it was. I think, um, I think that like, you know, growing up in suburban Midwest, um, I pretty much only ever interacted with like other white people, um, and I think that like. To me, there was just something very different about uh, hip hop because it was like it wasn't it wasn't the music that I heard everywhere uh, at first. You know, it almost seemed like it was something I had to go looking for, and to me, that made it exciting. Um, I, I people, I mean, people 
where I grew up, people love country music. I never got into country. It was always, you know, and and so like what? Sorry, what? Before you go, what what state is what state is St. Louis in? It's in Missouri. So is Missouri known for like? Is it is it? Do people listen to country there because it because it's a lot of white people and they listen to country or? Is there farming and agriculture or there is a little bit, but it's not as it's it's not comparable to like those more, you know, southern states. We're kind of we are definitely like kind of the border where um the south southern United States kind of starts. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And so I think that there is some influence from that. Um uh there's definitely southern influence, but I don't consider it like we're not a southern state at all. Yeah. Although there are people here who act like they are from the south. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but you know, when you see like your Confederate flags and stuff like that, and it's just like, what are you doing? Like, but I mean, like country music, I think is just, I think it's just popular here because probably just because of the role, the kind of role influence. Um. I never understood it. I've, I've never liked country music. I have friends who, you know, like members of our band, um, like some of the more pop country from the nineties and then some of like the outlaw country, you know, before that. And it's just completely lost on me. Um, if, if you did, if you did this same interview with our guitarist, James, he would be talking about Alan Jackson right now. Right now. <laughs> Fair um, like he and I, we went record shopping earlier today. And uh, sure enough, he was like, you know, well, I got to find the Alan Jackson record. You know, it's like that's it's just it 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 has never made any sense to me. I don't get it. Um, but at the same time, like you know, hip hop should not make sense to me at all, just given like how I grew up. But I think that it, like I said, I think that it was just something that seemed like it 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 seemed like I was getting a glimpse into a totally different world and that excited me absolutely and especially when you're that young um, it may as well be another planet like yeah watching those yeah, watching those film clips and that kind of like you know from the late 90s yeah it's if if you're just living in suburbia and you're you know 10 years old and all you know is your street your suburb whatever seeing a a puff daddy film clip where you know they're dancing crazy in las vegas or whatever yeah, like, that's fucking wild. I think, I think, I think, I actually, if, if I'm being totally honest, and uh, you know, this is gonna, this might sound silly at first, but I think a lot of that influence comes from um, in '93 when uh, you know the original season of Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Go on, okay, uh, yes, debuted in the United States. Um, there was a character on the show named Zach, who you know he was the he was the Black Ranger. Yep. He was an African American kid. Yep. And his whole thing was he did martial arts that were as that was actually dancing. And, you know, in the show, he called it, um, in the show, he called it hip hop keto. And like, I always thought Zach was the coolest. Um, he, you know, like he was everything that I wasn't as a kid. Like he was very, uh, he was confident in himself. He could dance really well. Um, everybody really liked him. Like he was just a popular kid. And those are like things that like I really wanted as, as a, as a young kid, you know, like I thought like, Oh, whenever I grow up to be his age, I'll be that too. Um, 
And I think that I really think that me having a love for that specific character influenced the way that I looked at music and popular culture. Like for, for me, it was like, and I didn't, you know, I, 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 I'm not one of those, I'm, I'm definitely not one of those white people who says like, Oh, I don't see color. Cause I think that that's nonsense that like, you know, is a thing. That's a thing that people say when they're trying to like negate the experiences of other people. Um, but but at the same time, you know, like I was, I was aware of like the, you know, the difference between like a black person and a white person. Yeah. Um, but the difference to me was only like, the, the difference to me was only physical. Like it was only, you know, what you could see. Yeah. And so uh, I would, I would see, you know, somebody doing hip hop dancing as a martial art and be like, oh, yeah, why couldn't that be me, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. There's not, yeah, in theory, there should and be it, nothing stopping you. And it, it, it definitely, like, I don't know, it, it, it influenced the way that I looked at music. It, looked at, it influenced the way that I looked at movies. Um, it influenced so much of, of my perspective, and I definitely think that it goes back to, uh, to that TV show. So, <laughs> fuck. So, I guess that started off with the Spice Girls, which, you know, I thought that was going to be the song you want to go for. What what song do you want to pick? It's that's it's so tough. Like, I feel like I feel like Spice Girls would make the most sense because it is like it kind of was like bridging the gap between like these two worlds at the time. Yeah. Um you know, like I wanted to entertain people, which is why I liked Weird Al so much. But like, you know, I wasn't quite the hip hop kid, you know, like that wasn't my persona, even though I liked a lot of that stuff. Um, I, you know, shoot, let's, let's, let's go for it. Wannabe by the Spice Girls, track number one on, uh, on the Spice record. Yeah! Friendship never ends If you wanna be my lover You have got to 
I guess, you know, the next part of the, the conversation is we, when we talk about, like, you know, getting a bit older, get it growing, going into high school. You said your relationship mm-hmm. with your brother was, you know, distant, but you had your kind of a common ground kind of thing, even though it wasn't fantastic, you know, in the, um, in the anime soundtracks and, and movie sound and, uh, sorry, game soundtracks. What, who were you, like, when you get a bit older, were you, in, like, from more influences, were you finding stuff yourself? Um, moving past, like, you know, Weird Al and the Spice Girls and that kind of thing? Or was there someone in your life, be it a relative or a cousin or a school friend or something like that, that was like, that would kind of your guiding light for new music? Well, so I did um, somehow in like late, you know, middle school when I was around like 12, uh, I started to get into like the whole new metal thing. Um, and I think, I think that that was, um, I think that that was uh, kind of, I think that stemmed from like, that I really liked, you know, like rap and hip hop and stuff like that. Yep. Um, Cause it did incorporate some of that, but that was the first time that I ever heard music that like seemed like it was, I don't know. Um, it was the first time that I ever heard music that was like aggressive at all. Um, and I loved it. Like I was so into it. I will be the first to admit now that, um, I think it's garbage. And I think that people, especially in hardcore who are like championing new metal are, are just flat out wrong. Um, so when you say championing new metal, do you mean, do you mean looking back at something like, like looking back at new metal from the two thousands and saying how good it was like, you know, someone from the nineties would look back at Sabbath and say how good it was, or are you saying new metal that's coming out today? I don't know if new metal, I'm, I'm assuming there is new metal coming out today. And is that what you mean? Oh, I'm sure that there, I'm sure that there is new metal coming out today, Yeah, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't know it. Yes. Well, I mean, I guess I do. We heard the, the new Code, Code Orange song is new metal. Yeah. It is. That's a, that's a, that's like, a whole conversation unto itself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It is, it is 100% new metal. Um, but like there are, there are bands that are like, there, there, there are people who are like, oh man, yeah. Uh, you know, like I want to listen to, you know, this, this band, this new band kind of reminds me of Slipknot and stuff like that. I was just like, dude, like that had its place. It's gone now, you know, like it, it, it I don't know. That's a whole other conversation, but I'm, I'm not above admitting that I did love it at some point and it opened up a lot of doors for me. Yeah. Um, I think a big part of growing up is recognizing that the stuff you liked when you were younger kind of sucked yeah. because you didn't know any better. And that's, that's how I was with new metal. Uh, and I'm sure that there are a lot of people who are going to be upset by me saying that, and that's fine. I don't care. Uh, but <laughs> like, um, I was really into corn. I was really into Limp Biscuit, um, and uh, a couple other, you know, bands. Cold Chamber was one of them. 
um, who I, I really liked. Um, but I had a friend in middle school who, like, we kind of bonded over, like, we both liked these bands, and um, I, I kind of, I, I looked up to him a lot, you know, he was, like, uh, he was a, he was really smart, but he also, like, didn't take himself too seriously, um, and I always really liked that, and we just kind of, like, around seventh grade, we, we started to get really close, and uh, I, I was at his house one day, and he would, like, show me, like, oh, well, if you, like, this band you should listen to this band and then he would sh gradually show me more and more like different subgenres of metal um starting with like i remember uh he he showed me like you know cannibal corpse for the first time okay yeah and i was just like this is insane i didn't know that you know people played this fast stuff like that yeah or you could sound that you could sound that gnarly right yeah he showed me um Let's see, uh, uh, a lot of, like, the darker stuff, too, because he knew that I was, like, you know, like, I preferred corn to Limp Biscuit because I liked the darker elements, you know? Um, and he'd be like, oh, well, uh, you should check this out. He would show me, like, a lot of, like, goth metal bands. Um, Where was he getting like, it from? Just, you know, like, I have no idea. Okay. <laughs> I, I have no clue. Um, I never thought to ask to be honest. I was just like so into the idea of him feeding me all this new music that I never, uh, I, I have no, to this day, no idea. Um, and so like, yeah, I mean, I, I was listening to, in, in middle school, he was showing me bands like um, uh, Incubus Succubus. Uh, he was showing me um, Skinny Puppy. I'm, I'm sure that at some point he put typo negative in there or something like that. Um, uh, a lot of the more like industrial stuff um, came about, you know, and I'm blanking on a lot of those names because there's things that it, I haven't, you know, thought about in many years. I heard. Yeah. I mean, it was so long ago, yeah. but one that he, I remember one very distinctly and I can, I can remember this day very well. Um, he played me, uh, uh, a Napalm Death song. Okay. And it had this, like, you know, really, like, kind of driving guitar part at the beginning. It you know, and I was just like, this is, and there's, like, constant double bass behind it. And then when it goes into the verse, it's just a blast beat, you know, straight into, the, and I was just like, I remember saying to him, like, this song is really cool. And, he was just like, oh, well, did, did you know that this is a cover? And I was like, no, what's it, what's, who's he, who are they covering? And he's like, oh, this is, this is a Dead Kennedys song. It's called Nazi Punk. And I was just like, oh, that's crazy. Like, what does the original sound like? And he played me the original Nazi Punk. And I was just kind of like, I'm into this. Like, you know, and that, that to me, wasn't the first time I ever heard punk because he had definitely played me some punk fans before and I didn't care about them at all. But that was when I was just like, Oh, this is like something that I like. I want to know more about this. Like Dead Kennedys are another prime example of like, when you listen to them now, you think, Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's great. Like you, you can't be too dismissive of them, especially like Nazi punks, but like taking out of context, like it was so fast and so, you know, aggressive 
and there, the, you know, there was yeah. obviously stuff like that going on, but it definitely wasn't the norm. It was definitely like it was an insular kind of music that was, you know, yeah, it wasn't commonplace. Sure, absolutely. And my my only experience with the Dead Kennedys prior to that point was uh, my dad would get like old rock and roll like memorabilia catalogs. And I would see their logo on T-shirts that you could order, but I didn't know I didn't know what that meant to me. Like, yeah, it, 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 they you 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 had a Dead Kennedys logo on a shirt next to a shirt with the Grateful Dead logo. So I was just like, oh, that's probably the same thing. Yeah, <laughs> the, you know, yeah, and like, which is the, the Dead Kennedys logo is one of the most instantly recognizable and you know greatest, I guess, as a as a marketing. Not that they obviously did it for marketing any particular way anyhow but like as a marketing experiment goes it's it's one of the greatest logos of all time that that logo is it's it's cool because it's like instantly recognizable when you know what it is Mm. but when you don't know what it is it's like strangely and inexplicably threatening Uh, yeah 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 you like you if you me as a kid not knowing what that meant like what that logo meant i would see it on these t-shirts in this catalog and it was just like it it was abrasive and it was aggressive and it was just like you know this is like almost kind of like to you know to like a a a 10 year old like it's kind of scary yeah but i didn't you know i didn't i didn't know what it meant and i remember i can remember my dad even before i ever knew who the dead kennedys were talking about the name dead kennedys and uh he would always, I, I can remember very specifically him saying, uh, uh, you know that they have to, you, you don't need to know any more about their music with a name like Dead Kennedys. They have to be horrible if that's the best thing they could come up with. So he was obviously and not into it. Was he a conservative kind of guy or? No, he wasn't. My dad was always a pretty left, left-wing kind of dude. Yeah. Um, I mean, as he gets older, he starts. I'm I'm watching him like shift to be more conservative, okay. which is really annoying. Yeah. But like he he wasn't really then, you know. I I can remember my dad always telling me, uh, when you get up vote, when you grow up vote Democrat because those are the guys for people like us. You know. There you go. Okay. Like I can I can remember my dad saying that to me, but um so like. My dad, when I was like into, when I was into like the new metal stuff, my dad hated it. When I got into punk, when I got into punk because of my friend, you know, his name was Tim. My friend Tim showed me all these punk bands. I heard how like angry and critical of American, like, you know, government and American life they were. Yeah. That drove my dad up the wall. Because even if, yeah, like again back then, like if you were left, even if you were left, they were they were pretty far left. Like well, this also, this also would have been this was like late two thousand one, two thousand two. So like you know nine eleven had just happened here. Yeah, and like there was this crazy surge in like American patriotism where like you couldn't question what the government was doing. Like you couldn't talk bad about, you know, uh, American foreign policy at all. 
And I'm like 13 at the time coming up like in, you know, this really weird time in American history and kind of being like, you know, my, my formative rebellious years are happening at the time where everyone's telling you, you can't talk bad about, like, you can't question the government. So, of course, that's the first thing I'm going to do. There's that, um, there's that popular line in, like, it's, you know, it's a Bush quote, but it's sung in, a, I don't know if you've ever gotten a suicide file, but, like, the first line of a particular mm-hmm. song is, um, what it boils down to, you're either, uh, is if you're either with us or against us. And it's that all or nothing, yeah. like, you know, you you have to like you have to love the government. You have to love the the um, the special forces and da 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 da. And if you don't, then you're then you're just as bad. You know, quote unquote, just as bad as the terrorists. Yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. And I mean, I remember, I remember like sitting in my eighth grade civics class, like a couple days after nine eleven, and a girl asked, "Why did this happen?" And my teacher just being like, "It's because the people in the Middle East hate that we have freedom." And me, even at 13, maybe 14 at this time, you know, just kind of being like, well, that doesn't make sense to me. And then I have all these bands that are telling me, you know, like, hey, like, this is actually a result of years of, you know, post-World War II American imperialism. Yeah. And I'm just like, well, that sounds smarter to me, so I'm going to go with that. Yeah, you know, it's it's yeah, like, it's a lot more nuanced than they don't like our freedom. Yeah, that's a yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I mean, you know, no one was attacking all of these other countries, mm. you know, at the time. So it was just, you know, it 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 was this very very strange and in a lot of ways, it's a very perfect time to for me to be getting into like punk rock. And for a very long time, outside of a few bands, um, uh, namely AFI, but if it wasn't political, I did not want to listen to it. Like, I didn't care about people's personal issues. That was off the table for me. I wanted to hear people talking about how they were going to make the world a better place. And, you know, like, I mean, we're talking, like, my favorite band at the time was Anti-Flag. It, it, uh I, I I loved anti-flag. Um, I loved Dead Kennedys because they were talking about, you know, things that were happening during the Reagan years, but were still happening, you know, for, you know, in 2002. Um, and I loved, uh, uh, I loved, I loved like the, the early hardcore, like, you know, Black Flag for me was, and in, in my in my you know opinion for what it's worth, I think Black Flag is the Beatles of punk. Uh, they they were you know unquestionably uh, uh, influential. Every band that has come after them has somehow been influenced by them, even if they don't realize it. I mean, they had they had everything. They had the logo. They had the uh, they had the agenda. They had the message. They had a strangely nihilistic attitude that a lot of other bands didn't, even though they were, you know, kind of singing about things that in my mind was interpreting as here's how we make the world a better place. But man, like this was like, for me, this was just the, 
this was the explosion of how I got into, you know, what I'm into now is, uh, you know, my, my friend pulling me aside one day and being like, Oh, you should listen to this song. And then it just completely opened up. And from there, I mean, it was like that same video store where I was renting all the anime movies had, uh, uh, you know, they put, they didn't have an anime section. They put the anime movies in the special interest section, which is where all the documentaries and stuff like that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They had, they had a copy of the decline of Western civilization. Wow. And, you know, in that same section with all the anime. So it's almost kind of like serendipitous how, you know, <laughs> these things that would eventually come together. And I rented that movie over and over again, uh, you know, to watch this old crappy VHS copy of this punk documentary. Yeah, that was filmed 20 years earlier. <laughs> yeah. And I was just like, this is like, this is what I want my life to be like. I want it to be crappy and messy and ugly, you know? Me, like, you know, like, again, this, like, suburban, you know, kid who my parents weren't, my parents weren't well off, but they weren't super poor, looking at people who lived in squats and being like, that's what I want to do with my life, you know? You mentioned that one of the bands that you listened to that wasn't political was AFI. Now, anyone that's heard this before, anyone that's heard more than two episodes of this podcast before knows that unashamedly unashamedly i love afi talk to me about why they would <clears throat> talk to me about why they were different do you think it was partially because your friend was showing you quote unquote goth music and they kind of had that aesthetic and that kind of thing or what was it about afi it is 100 percent that it, it with without a doubt i mean he like um the the very first the very first like AFI songs he ever showed me were on the Art of Drowning. And the Art of Drowning is like definitely at that point was like their, you know, most like goth material. Yeah. Yep. Um, and so like, I mean, there, you know, there's that string of like, you know, All Hollows, uh, Black Sails, and then Art of Drowning. Yeah. Where it's just like, you know, they were really embracing like that darkness without losing any of like the speed of what made them a punk band. Yeah. Um, and I, I mean, I, at first I kind of hated it cause I didn't like maybe having vocals. Um, but I came around to it after a while, whenever I really paid attention to like the melody of it. And, uh, I think, I think to really, to really appreciate like that era of AFI, you have to listen to it in the winter. And, uh, yeah, I heard it. I remember being really cold one night and we were listening to it and I was just like, all right, I get this. Yeah. My, my, my relationship with AFI ends at, um, uh, the art of art drowning. Yeah. Um, which, which I think, I mean, that, that's my second favorite record of theirs. My first being, um, if we're, if we're just counting the full length, shut your mouth and open your eyes is my favorite. Okay. Yep. Um, you know that 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 same friend Tim bought me that record and Punkorama Six for Christmas one year. Awesome. In uh, and and I mean that those you know that was like what was shaping my idea of like modern punk. And yeah, it you're you hit the nail on the head. It is a hundred percent because of like the dark aesthetic to it. Yeah. Um. I I I loved that. You know the the 
the almost like operatic kind of like woes and stuff that are in the background of, of some of those songs. And, you know, like the Davy Havoc with the devil lock and the, yep. you know, he had the eyeliner at the time. And the was that the, 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 the tight, I guess, spandex or fake leather pants? Yeah. It was, it was almost like leather. Yeah. 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 But, but still at the same time, like he was, you know, like he had these very, like he had a very feminine look to him, but he had a very masculine kind of figure and like he could command a room, you know? And like it, it, I thought that that was, I was, I was never a huge Misfits fan. So like seeing Davey Havoc, who was basically, you know, he was basically aping Glenn Danzig at the time. Um, which, but, but I didn't really know that, um, seeing him like walk that line between like, you know, what is, what is, what is masculine, what is feminine and having traits of both to me, that was like what punk was all about. Um, in essence, before you get to the political message, he was just like, you know, like, this is who I am and you can deal with it kind of thing. And I, I really, I really liked that. Do many bands, well, at the time, at the early two thousands, were many bands making St. Louis a a stop, a tour destination, or was it like, is it kind of one of those places that's a bit out of the way, or what's the story like, especially with somewhat underground or left of center punk rock and hardcore bands and that kind of thing? Um, it definitely was, but we still um, there were a lot of bands that I liked that were skipping us over. Um, unless it was like, you know, some kind of like warp tour stop or something like that. Um, um, I didn't go to as many shows as I wanted to then. I especially didn't see a lot of bigger bands then because I just didn't have the money to see a lot of those bands. Um, so I went to, I went to a lot of local shows, just like all local bands, very small bands and stuff like that. Um, and I remember those being, I remember going to a lot of those versus going to see like, bigger shows um a lot of touring bands and stuff like that you were never you were never really kind of you were never inspired to pick up an instrument that wasn't really on the radar oh not at all i i mean the totally opposite um i started i played saxophone when i was uh 12 Mm -hmm. um i started playing saxophone when i was 12 and i continued that all through high school i played in every uh every band um, that we offered, which at my school was only marching band, concert band, and jazz band. Okay. Um, but uh, when I was around 13, um, I really wanted to play bass. So I had my parents buy me uh, a bass, like a starter bass for Christmas. Yeah. Um, and I, I loved, you know, like I said at the time, I was really into anti-flag, and I was really into uh, rancid. And both of those bands have, you know, just they're known for like their walking bass lines and just really fast bass lines and stuff like that. Very bass heavy bands. Yeah. yeah. And so like I wanted, you know, I, I was in, when I got the bass, I was into new metal. Uh, I wanted to play like the dude from Corn, yep. but I made the, you know, that uh, during that time is when I transitioned into, you know, I heard that Dead Kennedy song and that's what got me into punk. And, uh, uh, I was just like, I want to play like these guys. So I, that's how I learned how to play bass is by playing along with 
you know, like fast punk punk bands and, you know, a lot of, a lot of bad religion songs, a lot of anti-flag songs, a lot of rancid songs. And, uh, um, for a long time, I mean, I, I was in, I was in bands where I would play bass and then they told me that I was also going to sing. Was that just like drawing a short straw or did you have a kind of a passion or some kind of thing for being the front person or what was that about? So, um, I think uh, I think we talked about this 
uh, last time we talked, but like, uh, uh, I wrote, like I wrote songs when I was little, um, more, more uh, than just, more than just uh, the, um, the parodies. I, well, I, I, I also, yeah, I, I wrote, uh, I wrote like nine, like I wrote like rap and R and B songs. Okay. Didn't, couldn't sing, didn't know how to play an instrument. I just, I was just like, oh, here's a song that I, you know, wish somebody would write. And I wrote them myself and they weren't very good. I don't remember much about them. I just remember that they were very bad because I was like a kid. Um, And so when it came to, you know, fast forward to my teenage years and like I'm starting my first, my very first punk band, we were a street punk band. And, uh, you know, there were three of us, guitar player, bass player and drummer, and I'm playing bass. And we were just kind of like, should we get a singer or who's going to sing? And our guitar player, who was, you know, this Tim guy who was showing me all these bands, yeah. just goes, you ever, he just goes, you ever written a song before? And I was like, you mean lyrics? So he goes, yeah. I said, yeah, when I was young. He goes, all right, you're the singer. Wow. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> that's that's and, some deep end shit. And so, like... He was just like, what do you want to write songs about? And I said, the government. He's like, cool, get going. And we we started writing songs about, you know, we were we were we were a street punk band. Our name was taken from an AFI song. Go on. Um uh our name our name was the gut. Okay. But it was it was an abbreviation for um in Morningstar, when he says uh, the ghost upon the stage, we were like, oh, that's our name. Wow. It's the gut. That's really good. <laughs> like, that's really good. And uh, uh, we eventually got away from telling people of that because we thought it sounded too, like, you know, like we were trying too hard to be deep. Um, and then we... Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, we played, we played two shows. My mom made me quit the band, um, because she came to one of the shows and she heard our guitar player cursing and she was just like, you're not going to be in a band like that. (laughs) And, uh, um, I, so I had to quit. That was how we broke up. And I immediately started another band with a few friends of mine, um, and I, again, I played bass and I sang because that I found out that was something I liked to do. And uh, I was in that. I was in that band for a long time, like six years. What were they called? Um, it was originally called uh, Ziggy and the Love Dart. Okay. Because um, I thought that that was a funny name. Um, uh, in my ninth grade science class, uh, we watched a we watched a documentary about mollusks. And we learned that certain mollusks have a sharp piece of cartilage that when they need to mate with another mollusk, they, they would impale them and then they would swap like the body fluids, which is how just the fluids that were on like the worms and stuff like that, they would, they would just rub each other together. That's how they would mate. Okay. And, uh, in, in the documentary, it said that some people call those, that piece of cartilage, a love dart. And I was like, Oh, that's funny. I like that. Oh, so, that's so good. Uh, so we were just like, oh, we're going to call it Ziggy and the Love Dart. And people were like, oh, so you must, your name is Ziggy then because you're the singer. I was like, no, Ziggy is just like, a, it's it's not a real person. 
it's just like you know uh, a feeling that we get. I don't know some other some nonsense that I made up to try to sound like I intentionally tried to sound stupid. Yeah. Um, and then we eventually like realized that like we wanted to be a serious band. Um, and we were writing a lot of songs about like the upcoming like the 2004 election and how like we had to get rid of George Bush. And we were just like people. We want people to take us seriously, so we came up. We called ourselves the Deficit because that was like the the annual budget or yeah. the annual like you know th- like the money situation yeah. is what was really big in the news. That we were just like, oh yeah, because then every time someone says that, they'll think about our band, and that was our reasoning. Um, and we ended up like, I don't know, we we stuck with that. We had a little logo that was just like a dollar sign with a negative symbol next to it. What did it sound um, like? That somebody was it still was, street punk? Uh, no, it was a skate punk band. Okay, yep. Um, we're actually uh, we have a record on Spotify now. Um, when I was a little bit out of high school, uh, some guy was just like, "Oh, I want to put out a CD, a split CD with you and this band from Germany." And so we did that, and yeah, those songs are on Spotify. Um, but I was already kind of getting into hardcore at the time. So yeah. like they have a little bit more of a hardcore edge to them. Um, by the time those songs were recorded, recorded but the, originally yeah. it was just like, a, it was just like a skate punk band. Um, we wanted to play really fast. We wanted to have like those kind of moving baselines, um, that I had learned how to do eventually. Um, I don't know, a lot of, a lot of Pennywise influence on some of the songs. Let's see. Um, and it's still, you know, anti-flag. I like bouncing souls a lot. So, and I was, I was doing a lot of the writing of the music. So yeah. like, it was kind of like, Oh, this is what I want to do. Um, yeah. And I was in that band for a long time. Eventually we switched over to where like I was doing just vocals and we got another bass player. Yeah. And then, um, I mean, we did some, we, we got to play some really cool shows. Uh, with that band. Um, like I can remember uh, playing with the adolescents one time. Okay. Yeah. Um, it was like adolescents and street dogs came through. Yeah. Um, and that was a really, really fun show. Um, that was the first time that I like during that time was whenever, you know, I started like actually like making friends with people in other bands. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, we, we, I don't know. That was that was the big learning experience, band. For me. When yeah, when you start playing those shows, you realize how the hardened tour dogs, you know, tour people actually do it, and how it, yeah, how to actually be a band, especially with someone like the Adolescents, who, right? What like early? I don't know if they were late seventies, but they're definitely early eighties, and they're still going. You know, they're still going now. Like they've they've seen a few things. Obviously, they're doing something right if they can still kind of carve a niche for themselves now. So when we were listening to when we were talking about something, the Spice Girls, I think, um, when we were listening to the Spice Girls song, I mentioned how I grew up going to church, and you hadn't really mentioned it, but then you said to me, "Yet, like, did you did the, how like what's your connection to church and organized religion? Is there one?" So I, 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 I absolutely there was um, around around 11 years old, my mom got really, my, my mom like became a born again Christian and she started going to church and it was really important to her that I went too. 
And for a while, I was really into it. Mm. But um, by the time, you know, by the time I started listening to, like, punk, um, it was starting to, like, make less and less sense to me. And I started falling out of uh, falling out of the whole church thing. And this was that was really upsetting to my mom. Yeah. Um, you know, because, like, now my mom thinks that I'm going to go to hell forever. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and but it was just like, you know, to me, I was I was, you know, hearing all these songs about, you know, critiquing uh, the way that, you know, religion and government kind of intertwine with each other and are, you know, being used as ways to uh, trick people into wanting to, you know, kill somebody on the other side of the world or, you know, being used as a way to uh, manipulate people into losing their money and stuff like that. And I was just like, that makes a lot of sense to me because I see the way my mom is. Yeah. And, uh, experience. uh, you know, and like my mom, my mom's a great person. I love my mom. Yeah. I think that my mom is, uh, you know, my mom is the best person I know. Yeah. Um, in a, in a lot of ways. Um, but I was, you know, when I was young and I was just like watching her go to these churches that were telling her, if you want, you know, if you want God to love you, you have to give a lot of money. My mom didn't have a lot of money to give, mm. but she still wanted to because she wanted to do the right thing. And it just like, it bothered me so much that she couldn't understand that they were trying to swindle her, you know? Yeah. Like my mom, my mom was just, uh, she she had bought into it so much that she couldn't see just how it was harming her. Were you seeing your mom go? And, with, uh, were you seeing your mom go without things because of her dedication to that the financial aspect of the church, or she still kind of got by even though I she, think like I mean we 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 did get by. Um, you know, my, we weren't broke or anything like that, mm. but my mom could have lived a much more comfortable life. If, yeah. uh, if she wasn't, you know, trying to, you know, like help herself, you know, she was in a roundabout way of saying it. She's trying to buy her way into heaven. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, it, it, it really upset me to, to see my mom be tricked into that. And so like, I, I, I kind of remained, um, kind of remained like, kind of, you know, like, Oh, you know, I, I'm, I'm still a Christian. Uh, I just, you know, don't really like some of the ways of the church that the actual church is, but, uh, you know, I believe in my own way and eventually, you know, like, um, I don't consider myself an atheist, but, uh, I like I consider myself super agnostic. Yeah. Just the the idea of whether or not there is a god or a higher power or whatever has no influence on my life and I just don't it doesn't mean anything to me. Yeah. Um and that's just the way that I that I you know show me the evidence and yeah, we well, you know we'll evaluate it. Yeah. That's how I've always been. That makes sense. So Let's. Are you cool to pick a song from that kind of period of your life? Um, during, I mean, during this during this time is really whenever I got into 
this is when I like transitioned away from punk and into hardcore. And for me, the one band that really did that is, you know, I was about 18, 19 years old, somewhere around there. Um, the band that got me into hardcore uh, was, uh, was Bane. Um, you know, I was feeling this real disconnect from like going to punk shows because, you know, everybody, I was, I, I've been, I've been straight edge since I learned what the term was. Um, and just seeing all these bands talk about drinking and stuff like that just got really old after a while. Cause yeah. you, I can't, you know, I wanted to hear bands with a message. I wanted to hear bands talk about the world sucks. Here's how we fix it. Um, and instead of time, I, mean, I was hearing so many bands just talk about, you know, getting drunk and, you know, stuff like that. It was just, I was tired of it. I, I, I remember going to a show and just being like, ah, oh, this is, I don't even feel like I belong here anymore because this is all anybody wants to talk about. Yeah. And so, uh, uh, I would see, I would see Strike Anywhere with Bane. And hearing the singer of Bane, uh, Aaron Bedard, talk about how, you know, like punk and hardcore come from the same place and the messages are all the same. It's just a little bit different. And then like seeing people like grab the mic from him and, you know, jump off the stage and stuff like that. I was like, this is what I want to be doing because this is the closest thing to that decline of Western civilization movie that I saw so many years ago. You know, I didn't know people still did stuff like this. And, uh, yeah, I mean, for me, that was, that was like the changing, the, the turning point for me. Um, so, uh, the song uh, "Anti Up" by Bane is that's my favorite Bane song. Um, I can listen to it a million times and not get tired of it. So I think I think that that is perfectly indicative of like this kind of you know rollover in my life.
this part in the podcast can kind of be, you know, span over a few a few decades or a few years or that kind of thing because it's it's like it's the part where we talk about you know what you've been up to in the last you know however long since you've kind of I guess became legal twenty one or so. Um, when did you? How old were you when you started um, Time and Pressure? Was did you did you come out of um, your last band into? Did that go straight into Time and Pressure, or was there a break, or what's? How does that all kind of timeline out? Yeah, so um, my we're 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 going to spread over a long period of time here. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, no um, problem. So uh, around. Around 2009 is when, you know, that, that, that band that I had started in high school, you know, we were, we were called the deficit at that point. The deficit that I couldn't think of. Yeah. Yeah. We had broken up at that point. Um, I started another band with, um, James, who is the guitar player in time and pressure. Uh, I started another band with, with him. We were not very good. Um, like to the point where people would laugh at us on stage. People would leave the room when we played. Um, we decided that like, we were just like, we're going to do, you know, play some out of town shows cause we're young and we can do that. And I'm not in school anymore. So let's just do it. Um, cause you know, like I had dropped out and, uh, like we just, it, it was not a good band. Um, we decided we were going to, you know, uh, we were going to quit and just break up at that point. And then you were just singing. And I, were you playing? Yeah, bass? I was just singing at that point. Yep. And I, I had gotten away from writing the political lyrics because, frankly, I wasn't good at that. Okay. Um, I, I learned that I was much better at writing this, like, very interesting, like, writing about, you know, more like about myself. Yep. Um, and I was like, all right, uh, I'm going to let, the other bands who are better at the political stuff do that. Um, so then we, um, he and I joined up with, you know, two guys uh, here in town. I was just playing bass, um, taking a break from, you know, doing vocals and stuff. And I was just playing bass in like a straight edge band at the time. Um, um, again, like that, that band wasn't very good, but that was kind of part of our charm. Okay. Um, we, we were very much just like, you know, let's, uh, let's, let's go and be a bad band. And we, we would like write like, you know, 10 second songs and. Were you, um, were you a straight they, edge band? Like, were you. We were a straight edge. Yeah. So that was part of the aesthetic for lack of a better term like it mm-hmm. wasn't just like you were a band yeah, with edge members yeah. yeah okay yeah we were a straight edge band um i'm now the only member of that band who is still straight edge yeah uh uh they like it was um the idea i think originally the idea was we were going to sound like straight ahead okay um and that's why they that's why they asked me to play bass because they were like oh yeah straight ahead has like you know those kind of moving bass parts and, uh, but I, uh, we didn't sound anything like straight ahead. Um, and we, we did a six song demo and we played those six songs for two years. <laughs> and that was, 
you know, eventually one day we were just kind of like, oh, I'm, I'm bored with this. And we stopped. Um, while that band was still going on, I joined another band that, uh, the first time I've ever had to audition for a band, wow. I auditioned to, to sing for this band and they had a whole like six song demo written that they just needed vocals for. And I was just like, okay, cool. I have all of these songs that I've been writing for the last, you know, five years ready to go. And uh, I think that that kind of helped out. Yeah. You know, like I had been working on all this stuff just in my spare time. And a band was called Perfect People. And I, I really liked that band a lot. Um, that was, it was, it was closer to like what Time and Pressure is. Uh, it was very, you know, kind of like more 2000s melodic hardcore. Cause, yep. you know, yeah, it was just, you know, that's, that's, that's what I've always been into. As soon as I got into hardcore, that's what I liked because that's what was popular at the time. Um, and yeah, I mean, we just, you know, we put out a record. We had, we had, you know, a couple of demos. We put out a record. Um, we did a very small amount of touring, but the other guys in the band um, kind of didn't really want to play a lot of shows out of town. And um, James and I, James was playing guitar in that band eventually too. Uh, James and I were just like, well, we want to play as many shows as we can as far away from here as we can. And the other guys weren't really into that idea at all. So eventually we, you know, uh, just decided that one day we had a show, uh, with code orange and, um, that morning they were just like, this is our last show. We're done. And, uh, so that was, that was around like 2016. Okay. So 2012 to 2016, so, that band was So together. Code Orange was like, you know, a big, somewhat big entity, although we're about to start their, their rise. Yeah. Yeah. I, I Am King was definitely out. Okay. I don't think the record after I Am King was out yet. Uh, I don't think Forever was out yet. Um, but, uh, I don't know. I was never a fan of that band, so yeah. it 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 the timeline kind of escapes me. Yeah, fair enough. Um, but yeah, so uh, and and James had moved away to be with um, his. He and his wife moved closer to his wife's family um, after his second kid was born. So we were. You know, like the idea of, oh, we're going to start another band together wasn't really even on the table because, you know, James lived in Ohio and the only people I knew who wanted to be in a band with me had just decided they didn't anymore. Right. So uh, um, I kind of was just like, well, shoot, I'm going to be bandless for a while, I guess. And uh, I wasn't. I was I was looking to start another band because I really really wanted to. At this point, I had graduated college. Um, I had a teaching degree, but I could not find a teaching job to save my life. And my uh, student teaching experience was so bad that it had completely discouraged me from the idea of getting a teaching job. Oh well. Yeah. Um, and so, like, all of this was happening. I was having a lot of personal stuff go on in my life too. You know, like. Um, I'm a sensitive dot, a sensitive guy. Yep. Girls break my heart. They do. So yeah, you know, they do, and they <laughs> like, will. Yeah. Like, 
I was, you know, I was, I was having some issues with like, uh, you know, some more, you know, romantic stuff like that. And I was just like, I need to start another band right now. Or I'm going to go insane. And, uh, I, uh, shoot, I don't know how long went by, by, by the beginning of 2018, James lived in St. Louis again. His family had moved back. And when he got here, he was like, you want to start a new band? And I said, yeah, let's, let's see if we can find some musicians. And he was like, cool. And he bought some new gear, played, we played a, so our, our straight edge band, which was not a straight edge band anymore, uh, got back together to play one show um, that was like a benefit for a hurricane that had happened in Texas a few years ago. Yep. Um, and we raised some money for that and, uh, we played that show and James was just like, I never want to be in a band again. And he, (laughs) all the stuff he had just, just bought, he sold. Was it something that someone had done or said, or it was just like once, once he was actually doing it, he's like, nah, fuck this. He, He was just like, this isn't fun. I don't want to do this. Okay. And then, then uh, James used to do in town, um, he used to do a, a uh, toy drive show um, like once a year around Christmas time. Yep. And he did the toy drive show. He booked, a, he booked a band from out of town that we were friends with. And the day of or like a couple days before, they were just like, hey, our bass player isn't going to make it. Will you fill in and play bass? And so James was just like, yeah, I will. I don't know why they didn't ask me because I actually play bass, <laughs> play, but yeah. that's a whole other story. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so James fills in, he borrows my gear to play this show. And then he was just like, that was way more fun than the last time. And he bought all this stuff. He wrote a demo and was just like, Hey, we're starting a new band. Awesome. And that's how time of breakfast started. That's fantastic. So there was this whole like, will they, won't they kind of thing uh, going on with us. And yeah, and he, I mean, uh, he wrote the whole demo, then was just like, all right, let's find musicians. And we found some people. They didn't, none of them worked out. We eventually found other people. Yeah. Um, who is pretty much like the, the main lineup of our band now. And, uh, you know, I was booking shows at the time. So I was just like, um, hey, this, uh, this show that I'm booking is going to be our first show. And we just kind of added ourselves to it, um, played, and then uh, James was, you know, just kind of like, well, the problem with our last band is that we didn't get to play out of town enough, and that really held us back. So let's just play out of town as much as we can and, until we get tired of it. And we did that. Uh, we had our we had our first tour book before we had ever recorded music. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, yeah. Our, our fourth show was with the Cro-Mags and Inclination wow. um, in, in Cincinnati, Ohio. Um, just because like from between the two of us booking shows, we had just kind of made connections with people. Yeah. And uh, that's kind of how we did it. And then, um, we just never stopped That's pretty much, you know, I, at, at some point during that in July of 2018, I got hired for a teaching position. So I became a full-time teacher and, 
now we just whenever like once a month we go and play out of town for a weekend and when i'm on break we do longer you know longer strings of shows like our california tour that's coming up is during my spring break and that's kind of how things go now yeah well it's good Um, you can it's good you can still um i guess you know work a a job that has uh you know obviously has meaning but you know is obviously you know helps you sustain a, a normal lifestyle but then obviously gives you yeah. the opportunity to you know yeah go, come have those longer stints of touring if needs be absolutely yeah it's it's so that it, i'm i'm very grateful that i get to do that and that i don't and unfortunately you know i i have been i've been in situations where i've let the band kind of take precedence over my job um but it hasn't gotten to the point where it's a problem yet it was more so just like oh shoot like i'm i gotta i gotta you know make sure i'm keeping up on my stuff so that i can do the fun thing Mm. you know um yeah and it's 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 really weird because like i like the people at a lot of the other teachers know that I'm in a band. A lot of the students know that I'm in a band. They don't care at all. Yeah. <laughs> um, like to them, to them, it's stupid because I'm not making money off of it. Yeah. Um, but, and, and, you know, like they don't care about guitar music. So for like some of the other teachers will say stuff like, Oh, I want to come see your band. And I'm just kind of like, I don't think that you do. Yeah, No, you don't. <laughs> Sorry. <But yeah. laughs> like there, I have, there's one guy who works at my school who is, like a metalhead and like when i say a metalhead like he like he knows his stuff okay um it's it's his knowledge of metal is actually really fascinating to me because like whenever you know when going out in the in the real world when people say they're a metalhead you know you think that they like you know the stuff they play on the radio but this guy and I have had whole conversations where we talk about like, you know, oh, Swedish black metal. And we talk about like those goth metal bands that my friend was showing me when I was in eighth grade. And, uh, and I, you know, we talk about like, he, he like, um, he saw that I have a straight edge tattoo one time and he was just like, what is that? An earth crisis tattoo? And I was just like, you know who earth crisis wow. is? <laughs> That's awesome. and, and so like, he has he he like listens to my band <laughs> and he's he's just like yeah this is like a thing that I'm into and uh, you know he's heard like that we've played with like Cro-Mags and he's just like that's crazy that's awesome you know it's like he actually has an appreciation for it yeah because so they definitely have that up. crossover appeal yeah yeah if if he showed up to a show like it wouldn't be weird at all yeah he knows what he's getting into but like. I have, you know, like these, like pretty elderly coworkers who are like, "Oh, I'd love to come see your band," and I'm sure they think that we're just like a rock and roll band, but you know, they wouldn't know what to expect if they. And I'm, I'm worried that they would like, you know, see the way that I am whenever we play, and they, and they would think it's weird and stuff like that. Yeah, and then changes the whole dynamic at work. Yeah, yeah, it would be, uh, it would, it would be interesting. The other part of me is kind of like it'd be really funny to see their faces when it happens. It's you know, and sometimes it can bring a appreciation. Probably isn't the word, but like 
you know, to see someone to if you just know someone in a day to day environment, and then you see something outside of your out of context, but they're really passionate about it, that can often you know mm-hmm. bring something to the table. Yeah. Sometimes it could go south, but but yeah. Yeah, I think that it would. I think that it would be really interesting. So, look, I guess you know, let's plug the band. Like the album came out last year. Uh, yeah, it came out in August. August last year. And where can people get copies from? Yeah, if they're so um, you can you can get them through us at shows. We have we have some left. Um, you can grab them online um, at uh, so Station Side Records put the put the album out. Um, Safe Inside is distributed exclusively through Deathwish, so you can go to Deathwish Inc., um, the Deathwish Inc. store, yep. and uh, uh, find, you know, they'll have, like, uh, a little Safe Inside link you can go to, and you should be able to pick it up there. Um, but, yeah, that uh, in um, Europe and Australia, um, there are other places that you can get them through different distros, but I don't know what they are or who ships where. Uh, unfortunately, I th- yeah, I'm not sure who who do it down here, but I know death. Obviously, death. We should do and do um, do, mm-hmm. does ship down here, so you know that's probably the best port of call for people to go to. Um, what does the future hold besides the the California stint? What else have you got? Yeah, we just announced uh, we just announced the California tour, um, which is uh, March 17th to the 21st. Um, the last date of that is the lineup hasn't been announced yet. I don't even know who all is playing. Um, but, uh, we're, uh, there's a, a, a small, or, I don't even know if, it, if it's considered small. There's like a fest that they do in California now called Mutiny on the Bay, named after the, uh, uh, the Dead Kennedys live record. Yeah. Yeah. So full. Full circle. Yeah, indeed. I shouldn't say it's named after it. It just, it just, uh, it shares a name with it. I don't know if it's actually named after it. Um, and yeah, it's called Mutiny on the Bay. Um, I don't know who's playing. They're gonna announce the lineup uh, sometime in this upcoming week, I think. Um, so I'm really excited to see that. I know that Fury headlined it last year, and uh, um, I'm kind of crossing my fingers that Gulch is gonna be on it this year. I don't know how outside you know, inside the realm of possibility that is, but we'll see so, what happens. Yeah. Um, it is, uh, the, the whole tour that we're doing is with the band Spirits from Massachusetts. Okay. Um, who, uh, Spirits put out an LP in 2017, I think 2017 called unrest. That was my favorite full length that came out that year. Um, it's really awesome. They're uh, playing a lot of the, uh, very similar stuff to what we do, you know, the kind of fast, um, uh, melodic, kind of punky, um, hardcore. Um, you know, sounds like it came out of the year 2004. Uh, it's, it's really good. Uh, they were, they were, um, they were a band that I never thought that I would get to see because they don't tour very often and when they did they didn't come to the midwest so the fact that they kind of came to us asking if we would do a tour with them um was ridiculously cool to me um and then uh yeah and then we also announced um we're doing a split record with uh 
uh, a band called Discourage, who's also doing a couple dates with us in California. Um, and Discourage plays similar style. They put out a record um, uh, last year or two years ago. Um, I can't remember now at this point. Two years ago, 2018, yeah. Yep. But I reckon 2018 is the 7-inch, um, self-titled. Uh, it's really, really good. I like it a lot. Um, I first heard them because they covered AFI on uh, a split record they did with somebody else. Wow. Um, and uh, I heard it, and I was just like, oh, this band's awesome. <laughs> All right, cool. And then, uh, yeah, they put out that 7-inch. They did a split with um, the band Lift and the band Fum. Uh, Lyft is from, um, oh, wait, Lyft is from Connecticut, uh, and, uh, shares, it shares a member with, one of their members is in With Honor, okay. or was in With Honor, I guess With Honor is not really a band anymore, although they're reuniting I was about to, to say, play yeah, th- Furnace Fest. Yeah, they're playing that festival, yeah. Yeah, they, they share a drummer, um, and a really cool band, reminds me of Snapcase. Uh, and then Fum is a band from uh, Colorado who we uh, we met in when we played a fest together in Oklahoma, um, who was just awesome. Um, they recently did some of the European dates with Have Heart. Um, really cool band, like almost kind of like power violency um, at times. Real fast, real aggressive, short songs, but with. Uh, lots of um lots of messages that i agree with stemming from you know anti-fascism uh you know uh making sure to treat people equally um women's rights uh you know taking the the homophobia and the transphobia out of hardcore and stuff like that i mean it's just they're they're a great, great band. The stuff that should be the stuff um, that should be just a given, but unfortunately in twenty twenty isn't. Their their vocalist, uh, Kat, is one of those people who can do the political lyrics and it sound good. Yeah. Versus me trying <laughs> and it just sounding like I'm ripping off anti flag. Yeah. Uh, she is the kind of person who when I say I'll let someone who knows what they're doing do it, she's who I was talking think, about yeah. without realizing, you know. Yep. Yeah, um, and then yeah, I, I I mean we got some we got some other stuff planned. We are working on a new record for Safe Inside that's like a a, a proper um, follow up to uh, uh, the Gateway City sound. Um, we I mean we've written some songs for it, but it's it's not finished. We're going to be recording that in uh, April, and uh, yeah. So. Let's pick a song to kind of wrap it all up. For me, um, I think when it comes to like kind of, you know, kind of summarizing everything, that's, that's, that's hard for me to do, but uh, I'm going to, I'm going to kind of go with one of my old standbys. Um, the band Ruiner is my favorite band. Um, and anyone who knows me well enough, or really not even that well knows that like I mention them as much as I can. I love that band. Um, so um, the song that I'm going to pick that stone better be on fire uh, by Ruiner. Um, 
I think that the reason why I picked that one is because I think that that song has, ever since I first heard that song the first time, I felt like it kind of, it's really identified a lot of um, the ways that I feel um, and a lot of the ways that I like kind of see the world around me. Um, not to be like, I don't know, not necessarily. I guess to see the world around me is not the right phrasing. It's more so how I see myself. Um, and that's what I always liked about Ruiner is that I felt like that they were a band who was writing lyrics that like I could read and I could be like, oh, that's me.
Sacred heart before it 